It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The only podcast that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online, and apps. In episode 122, we discuss how Turner Sports has turned around their Champions League coverage. HBO announces a new soccer documentary. MLS TV ratings hit another low on FS1. And who will get the next rights to the Scottish Premiership? Plus, letters from you listeners in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kartik Krishnaya. Uh, for those listeners who have not tuned into one of our broadcasts before, what this is is really kind of a deep dive into the soccer media business, everything from the television coverage to uh, the rights situation in terms of uh, who, ha- who has the rights to whatever leagues or competitions as well as the streaming side of things, answering a lot of questions about uh, how the streaming side works and who has what rights to uh, show which games. So it's all on the legal side. That's what our focus is. And starting this week, Kartik, um, in terms of what we've been watching, we've, we've got to start with the Champions League and then probably go backwards there. Um, the Liverpool-Barcelona game, I, I mean, to me, this was a really entertaining game. This is probably my, my match of the week. Um, Really good first half, second half. I mean, Barcelona just took it to a whole new level. Uh, of, of course, some individual displays by uh, Leo Messi. But really an entertaining match to watch. And, and the scoreline really, I think, in many ways, wasn't an accurate reflection of the game itself. Uh, Liverpool controlled a lot of the first half and had chances in the second half to score. Uh, it's just that their, to me at least, their crossing was kind of their the weakness. Every time they had an opportunity to kind of cross in that really sweet final cross, it was a poor uh, cross. Either went over the heads or was just not accurate enough. But an entertaining game. And then from the, the Turner point of view, in terms of uh, the TNT BR football coverage, to me, that they've turned a corner. Um, in the last couple of match weeks, they've been um, they've fixed the production issues, and now and and, and actually the the analysis in, in the last few weeks was kind of bland. I mean, that, that's the best way I would describe it. But this week, I think in many ways they took it to a whole new level. Uh, Tim Howard on Tuesday, always good. Uh, Moadu on Wednesday. But to me, they've really now focused in 
a lot more on the tactical analysis. And this is something we've seen in the past before. But uh, on Wednesday, we even had a half-time tech- technical an- analysis where you had, um, I mean, Stu Holden, Moadu, and others kind of jumping up uh, out of their seats and going to the big screen and tactically showing things on, on the big board. And that's something for me as, as a soccer fan for probably over 40 years watching soccer uh, in person and on television. Um, what I find with TNT, it's informative. I'm learning new things. Um, even being kind of a scholar of the game, they're pointing out things that I didn't notice. And in many ways, too, they're not on a level of a Lee Dixon. Every time I listen to Lee Dixon, there's always something I take away from, from, uh, from that broadcast with his knowledge. But to me, um, not quite there, but it's pretty close. And, and actually, I think now they find a sweet spot uh, with their coverage, and, and it's, it's, it's pretty good. What do you think, Kartik? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's, they're still a bit of a mixed bag. They're certainly better than Fox. Uh, although Fox and Fox's good moments could be good. But I, as I talked about with their Bundesliga coverage, they're wildly inconsistent. Um, again, this week, when we'll get to that in a few minutes, Bundesliga coverage was was uh, was really kind of uh, trash, other than the fact that you've got uh, Costigan and Joy calling games, which is fantastic, but no studio, nothing, uh, unlike the previous week where I complimented Alexi Wallace, among others, for, for their analysis. Um, on, on TNT, I think there's a couple points. One, the production has improved. I will certainly uh, give you that. I think the segments are still somewhat clunky, so they don't have this the smoothness around their tactical analysis that uh, an NBC does uh, when they do it, or Sky Sports does when Gary Neville does it. Previously, Andy Gray uh, pioneered this, right? But Sky Sports many years ago in the English language. Uh, I'm not sure about broadcasts in other languages. I I tend to suspect um, German football analysis and Italian football analysis probably were tactics-heavy compared to uh, English football analysis in the 1990s, let's say. But um, at least in the English language, it's it's an improvement for sure. I do think that there are still some. Um, I, I I just get the sense the analysts, and I would include all of them on in this, are not as well researched and up on uh, the, the respective teams and some some of the developments with the respective teams that are playing in this competition that. Um, NBC's analysts would be around uh, the Premier League. Gerbian's analysts, studio analysts, would be around um, La Liga. To me, when you see the way Bian presents uh, their studio, that's still, to me, a preferred... um, And obviously, they've had some budget cuts there. Don't need to get into that today. But that's still preferred to where maybe Turner should go eventually. But yes, certainly an improvement. Um, The commentary during the matches is not something they can control. I think... uh, uh, we, I, I had some issues with the commentator on, on Tuesday in the Ajax Spurs match. I thought Wednesday was fantastic with Mark Tyler, of course. Uh, and he was able to get in uh, some very important anecdotes at the right times, just very typically Mark Tyler. And they're giving us him, which is, which is something uh, we should thank Turner for. We got him more sporadically with, with Fox. But, um, yeah, I think it's improved, but I, I still think there's a ways to go. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of things in terms of what Turner's doing uh, correctly or, or right that I, I like. I mean, if this was Fox a year ago for the Champions League semi-final and you had Liverpool against Barcelona, you can guarantee it would have been John Strong and Stu Holden calling this game from a studio in Los yeah. Angeles, not at the stadium. But Turner's continuing to go with the, the Wolf feed, which, which is a huge plus. Because, because, you mean, no one can do it better than Martin Tyler at, at this level. 
um, to go ahead and use the best, why, you mean, rather than use their own um, talent. Uh, somebody pointed out to me actually this week too that um, while well, Turner's been doing a much better job and they have improved, uh, there are mistakes. Like, for example, I think for the Liverpool-Barcelona game, when they had the team lineups on the screen, they had uh, Virgil van Dijk uh, in the wrong position. So small things like that where it's probably more the production crew behind the scenes that are making mistakes rather than the talent themselves. But what I would say about Wednesday's broadcast is that um, I could really feel the energy and fun coming through the television set. I mean, you had, it was really it was informative, but it was enjoyable. And what I mean by that, too, is that you had um, I mean, the guys, I mean, the, the, the banter, well, it wasn't so much banter, but just the discussion back and forth. And then you had the incident where you mean, they, they were doing, uh, heading the ball and it accidentally hit the coffee mug and smashed that into pieces. Uh, but you could hear through the TV set in terms of kind of just them talking back and forth. And it, it put a smile on my face, and I enjoyed that. Earlier this season... They were trying too hard. They were trying to crack jokes and inside jokes, and it just came off as really, really bad. This this felt more natural, authentic, just having fun, and and I think they work together really well. And it, we've we've come a long way. Or Turner's come a long way in this uh, production of the Champions League. I mean, if we go back just a few months, uh, or even to earlier the season with the two studio sets. I mean, having this one studio set in Los Angeles, which is smaller, more intimate, having the, the guys, I mean, kind of a small crew, really, when you think about it. Earlier this season, you had, like, what, seven or eight people? Uh, now you're down to, what, the four people, and it's pretty consistent in terms of who shows up and uh, who interjects. So I, I think they've come a long way, and then hopefully next season it can get better. The biggest thing that they, they can improve upon is the BR Live streaming platform. That, that to me, has been a disaster, and for a tech company like Bleacher Report, uh, for them to outsource the streaming product to a, another company and have, have them do that, I think that was a big, huge mistake. That's something that they should have done in-house. Or go with the best of the best. Go with a BAM tech or go, go with somebody that, that's used to doing this at this high level. That has been a disaster. And, and as a result, I think the Europa League has been overlooked. The Europa League would not be on English-language television um, it's been a huge boost for Univision, for sure. Yeah. And you've got, you know, you got Arsenal against Valencia. You've got Frankfurt against Chelsea. These are big games featuring really... I mean, Valencia and Frankfurt are talented teams, exciting teams to watch. And for the most people in the United States, it's, it's not even happening. I, I, I would actually rank Eintracht among the top five teams to watch in Europe this season, uh, for me, personally. So uh, the, the fact that no one's seen their Europa League run, whether it ends today or... Friends next to Thursday or not, uh, it's been fantastic, and they're fighting for fourth right now in the Bundesliga in an intense fight. They have a, a tough run in, so they have four really difficult matches in a row. Two of them you'll probably see on, on Fox. Again, I call out Fox a lot for their Bundesliga coverage, but they do show the matches. They're not necessarily uh, bumper, you know, their bumper coverage isn't necessarily very good. Um, so that that's unfortunate. Valencia is having you know kind of an uh, an off on again off again season, but again a good team to watch uh, that I, I don't think is getting the love. So those two non English clubs that are left in the Europa League and, and and the analysis then emanates from it, Chris, because there hasn't been any coverage of that tournament in the English language uh, television space in the United States this year, other than uh, ESPN FC. Of, of coverage on Thursdays and, and, and their, their program. And Thursday's the day that Craig Burley takes off. Thursday's the day Dan Thomas takes off each week. So it's it's usually Adrian Healy and Paul Marin are talking about it uh, among the other analysts. And um, that has allowed a lot of people to make, I think, 
sloppy assumptions about both Valencia and Eintracht uh, because they're only watching the Premier League clubs and they're only knowledgeable about the two Premier League clubs and they're like, hell yeah, they're going to meet in the finals. That would not have been the case. This isn't Fox's defense. A year ago when Fox was showing the tournament, if the same exact semifinals had been taking place, they're like, oh yeah, no, Eintracht does look good to this point or Valencia's on a good run. So, um, and of course, La Liga is on less television sets in the U.S. now than it's been in, in, in some time because of BN's uh, issues, but uh, I think that they've done a disservice to that tournament, and I, I do need to register that while we're praising them for, for Champions League coverage. Uh, that that um, they paid a lot for the rights. I don't know why um, uh, they they paid a lot more for the rights than anyone has ever paid for the English language rights in this country previously. I don't know why they don't feel like airing at least a semifinal, quarterfinal, semifinal round of that tournament on regular television on linear television is a good idea. Yeah, it's one of those things that I think with Fox, when they did have the Europa League, they they used it really as kind of a a test vehicle. They would often uh, put people on there uh, commentating games just to give them some more reps or give them try different combinations as far as maybe having JP doing some games with, with uh, a different colleague. Um, but but it was it was on television, and, and the ratings for those games were anywhere from I think about fifty thousand to about a hundred thousand. So it's not a lot a lot on the viewership side. So I can see Turner thinking, okay, well. The, not a lot of people watching these games anyway, so let's go ahead and put those on the streaming services and then hope that people will just go sign up for BR Live just because of those games. If you're an Arsenal fan or a Chelsea fan or, or whatever, um, my uh, understanding, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure on this, is that I think most people are watching those games on Univision, on the Spanish language channel. It doesn't really matter as much in terms of the language barrier, and you mean it's just so much easier to watch it on uh, even Univision Deportes Network and, and and watch the games and, and either mute it or just you uh, mean if you if you don't understand Spanish just just let it flow and, and just enjoy the game for what it is. But uh, I'm actually surprised in some ways though too that Turner on the Champions League coverage. I mean they have you mean what the hour uh, uh, pre-game and they have about an hour post-match is that they're not spending any time even post-match saying, okay, all right, let's spend like about 10 or 15 minutes focusing on Arsenal against Valencia or Frankfurt against Chelsea, some of those key matchups. that they start talking about those tournaments rather than having, say, a uh, Ajax love-in on, on the Tuesday or kind of just going over and over the Barcelona-Liverpool game on, on the Wednesday. There's an opportunity there, there for them to go ahead and, and kind of talk it up a little bit more. Uh, which I don't believe they have done much of that. But, um, but Karthi, let's go back for a second to uh, the Bundesliga. You mentioned that as a, a league you watched this past weekend. So, Karthi, what about the Bundesliga from this past weekend? Uh, a title race is still on. I mean, but, but how is the broadcast itself from, uh, from Fox? Well, I, I mean, Keith Costigan is fantastic. So my game of the week, uh, my match of the week was the, was, was the derby uh, between uh, uh, Schalke and Dortmund. Derek Ray was actually calling that match, not for Fox, but for the international feed. Fox picked, picked it up. Uh, Keith Costigan was doing the uh, – Keith Costigan and me enjoyed did the game the next day between Nuremberg and Bayern, which was – Close, uh, close run. Like, uh, like I think uh, actually for me, uh, maybe more Ajax, Spurs were for game of the week. Um, Dortmund Schalke, fantastic that they showed that match. Fantastic, we got Derek Ray. The the uh, energy and uh, uh, in the building, you, you can just get. And in fact, someone, a casual soccer fan who's more of a Premier League fan than anything, told me this week, "Wow, I watched that match. You don't get that atmosphere." at most English grounds. Uh, now, I would say you don't get that atmosphere at most English grounds on the top flight. Uh, 
I encourage them to watch some some championship in League One, and, and you might see something similar to what you saw in in Dortmund for that match. Of course, they're not eighty thousand people at those matches like there is in Dortmund. But um, what a what an atmosphere! Really. Um, uh, an outstanding match, although it didn't go the way a lot of people who want to see uh, Dortmund win this title or Bayern not win this title. Uh, I should be more clear on <laughs> my motivation. Um, uh, it, it went, we wanted it to go. But the thing, Chris, is that this is such an opportunity to do bumper programming for Fox. And they had done it the previous week. I, I had complimented Alexi Lawless and, and Jovan Karofsky. Uh, good analysis. Lawless can be good when he wants to be good, as I think we talked about for years on this show. And then this week, with this match, um, the biggest derby in Germany, because it is that, and it, 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 it's probably the second and third most supported teams in the country. Um, and, and you and I made the made the trip, right? We went right directly from Gelsenkirchen to Dortmund a few years ago uh, when we visited uh, these clubs. And it, it took, what, a half an hour, 40 minutes? Yeah, yeah, really close. Uh, incredible atmosphere. No bumper coverage around it. None whatsoever. Um, and that was um, that was pretty stunning uh, to me. But um, again, I, I guess it, it is when the matches are on FS1 and they don't have NASCAR, they're doing a good job and they're trying to present it the way uh, they would present it. Uh, other leagues or the way or the way they used to present Champions League and, and, and compete with uh, NBC's coverage of the Premier League. Uh, when the matches are on FS2, they just mail it in. So it's it's yeah. it's very bizarre because FS2 is still in over 50 million homes in this country. Uh, it's not in the 80 million homes that FS1 is, but it's still in, um, for example, three times as many homes as BN is. And yet BN gives you a full production, gives you a full uh, studio, full analysis around La Liga matches. Uh, and, and Fox is unwilling to do that for Bundesliga matches if they're not on FS1 or on Big Fox. Uh, the final the final two matches of the season, they will have matches on Big Fox, so that's that's good with, with the title race on. Leipzig, by the way, mathematically still alive. They're only uh, seven points back, but um, yeah, frustrating. It's yeah, it's a vicious circle, really, in many ways, because uh, when FS2 does broadcast the Bundesliga, like you said, they don't have any studio coverage, and because they don't have any studio coverage, probably people will be less, a little bit less likely to tune in to that match uh, because it doesn't hook them in. I mean, with the Premier League, you know, no matter who's playing, even, even if it's a relegation battle, you'll have even the full crew doing the full set and everything, no matter what it is. Even on days when there's the Champions League game on and there was a Brighton match a couple of weeks ago, they still went, went, went and did the whole thing. So with the Bundesliga and watching it on Fox, you, you're almost kind of like, well, should I tune in to watch it? Will I get the, the insight and analysis and, and, and coverage that I would expect? Or, or could I tune to, uh, change the channel and watch something else and get, get a better you know, I mean, two or three hours of, of programming? Looking at this weekend, Kartik, again, you've got all of the games. All of the games are on FS2 except for one game, which is the early Sunday morning game. And that, which is Freiburg against Dusseldorf. And it, it really is, at this point, it, it's filler. That's all it is. The Bundesliga is filler on Fox Sports. And it, what I mean by that is just that they will put it on FS1 just when there's an opening, when there's a gap, when they don't have the NASCAR on or the whatever other sports they're showing. They'll show it on an early Sunday morning when pretty much no one's going to be watching that, that, that game anyway. So it's just a vicious cycle where... They're not improving things. They're not helping FS2 kind of attract greater viewing numbers. 
and they're just really not—they're really not doing anything at all, it, which is a, sh- a shame, really. Especially with this title race. I mean, when was the last last time we had a title race that was this close at this end of the season in the Bundesliga? It seems like forever ago. Yeah, I think the last time was probably when uh, when Bayern beat out Schalke in, in 2010, and then uh, subsequently made sure that Schalke wouldn't threaten them again by. Uh, taking Manuel Neuer off their hands that summer. Uh, I think that's the last time it was this close. I mean, the two titles Dortmund won, um, they they were comfortably, you know, I, not when I say comfortably, not 30 points ahead, but they were comfortably ahead uh, by this point of the season. And then uh, there was a year under Tuchel where Dortmund ran Bayern close, but had begun to fall away by this point. So, yeah, I, I, they're doing a, a terrible disservice. And actually, that season is instructive because that was the first year Fox had the Bundesliga, and they were all over that title race, if you remember, um, right. which was uh, uh, also because Pulisic was getting games and he was 17 at the time. But, um yeah, it's 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 pretty stunning, and it is, I guess, just filler. The question is: Is club soccer in general now just filler for FS1? Have they gone through the cycle of taking uh, club football seriously, but now that the, the ratings for MLS are, are what they are, we're going to get into that. I know a little later, and uh, they've lost the, uh, the Champions League and, and Europa League. Are they just playing out the string on the Bundesliga and then they're out of the club football business other than whatever obligatory um, uh, 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 commitments they have to Major League Soccer? I, I believe so. I, I, think that, I think they're done. I think all they're focusing on now is the, the big events. So the World Cup, which they got through till what, 2026, uh, and Women's World Cup, you mean this summer and, and, so, and beyond, and uh, Gold Cup, and that's it. They're focusing on the big events because they see the big numbers with the TV ratings. And as a result of that, though, too, because, ha- because they have so little focus on the club soccer side of things, it's hard to pull those, those viewers back in and, unless it's for the, for the mainstream, unless it's the U.S. men's national team or U.S. women's national team uh, playing in, in big games. And we've seen, too, even with TV ratings for some of the, um, the friendlies with the U.S. men, uh, those numbers are pretty, pretty low, too. So, yeah, it's... Uh, Really much when you think about it, the decade of Fox Soccer, uh, Fox Soccer Channel, and then going into Fox Sports, being the dominant player in soccer coverage in the United States is over. It's been over for, for since they lost the Premier League. Um, it's it's been over since then, and since they've lost the Champions League, Europa League, FA Cup. I mean, you go, you go down the list. There's a lot of things they've lost over the years, and uh, I think part of it is just that um, they don't see it as. Um, kind of a opportunity to to succeed and they'll just focus on, on the big events narcotic this past weekend was uh, a crazy weekend for that leeds united aston villa game. yeah I, I i watched the, maybe the first like say 20 minutes of this game uh really entertaining but I had a go because one of my kids had a soccer game so i missed the rest of the match and boy did i miss something uh, for, for those listeners who, who didn't get a chance to watch the clip on, uh, on online or to see it live, can you explain uh, kind of what happened uh, briefly? Let me try and give a digest version because yesterday at dinner, someone wanted to uh, ask me, and I, I watched the game live, so I was, uh, I, I, and it took me five minutes to explain it. So basically, Aston Villa gets hurt, uh, player gets hurt in the middle of the pitch. Uh, uh, leads player uh, toward the the touchline is about to play the ball out because the guy is injured. Uh, Another leads player makes a run, plays the ball to him, um, and he he, then two Villa defenders realize, oh my goodness, they're not stopping play. They try and defend. Uh, Guy scores great goal. 
um, from a tight angle. Then there is a fight that breaks out because the Villa players are saying, wait a second, we had a teammate down. Um, there's some argy-bargy going on. Uh, uh, Patrick Bamford, the former Chelsea youth product who, who was uh, uh, who has finally come good for Leeds in the last few matches, feigns getting headbutted, gets uh, uh, the, the Villa player sent off. Uh, that has been subsequently rescinded and Bamford has been suspended. So then um, John Terry, who is a Villa assistant, uh, gets in the face of, of, of the lead staff. Uh, there seem to be words between him and Bielsa. Uh, th- then you have the restart, Villa down to 10 men. Leads, um, uh, Bielsa is clearly communicating to his, his defenders, give them a goal. Okay, let them score. But Pontus Janssen apparently did not get the memo. Uh, the other 10 Leeds players did, including the keeper. So one player did it, and he's trying to defend. <laughs> Luckily, the, the, the Villa player uh, uh, is able to, to, to beat him off the dribble and score. Um, and, and, but then there was more pushing and shoving uh, after that goal, including between Janssen screaming at some of his teammates, why didn't you defend? So it was bizarre, but a, a great sporting gesture by Bielsa. I have to mention that um, there has been a narrative this week that, well, if Leeds were still chasing automatic promotion, they wouldn't have done this. Leeds could still get caught by West Brom on the final match day and end up playing Villa rather than play Derby or Borough or Bristol City. And you'd rather not play Villa over two legs. So uh, still, uh, maybe Bielsa didn't have that scenario in his head when he made this sporting gesture, but still quite a sacrifice by Leeds given uh, the lack of fair play by by one or two of their players uh, previously. But um, the announcer was very, was very good. Um, I'm sorry, the commentator, I didn't, I didn't catch his name because I was, um, I was watching that on ESPN plus at the same time I was watching um, uh, Clyde Tilsley and the Manchester City match, uh, Burnley on NBC, but uh, Stuart Atwell, the referee, was a, a disaster, and he's a man who, who referees a lot of Premier League matches, too, so uh, I think that's a significant concern, uh, that he, he didn't quite get it, uh, he wasn't able, he had lost control of the match, uh, but the commentator was quite good, the commentator was very calm, the commentator wasn't uh, flying off the hand and saying, oh, look at this, look at that, uh, like you might see with, with uh, I hate to stereotype, but with some American commentators, um, he was very calm, not very excitable, and, and tried to call what was a, a bizarre situation that very few people who commentate on the match and, and very few people who have gone to a match like that at Ellen Road previously had seen. I'm so looking forward to this uh, championship uh, playoff run, though, Kartik. You got, you got the final day, well, the final weekend of the championship uh, this Sunday uh, on ESPN+. Plus, and then you've got the League 2 playoffs, the League 1 playoffs, and the championship playoffs all on ESPN+. Plus. And we'll have the schedule at WolfSoccerTalk.com so everyone can see. But this is really, I mean, it's so, it's good. this is going to be more accessible than ever before. Being sports in the past had the rights, but they didn't show every single game. They showed them kind of sporadically. Uh, the championship playoff final, of course, they would always show. But this is going to be, I mean, for anyone who hasn't had a chance to watch the championship much this season or, or the football league, it, it's really entertaining stuff. And, and with so much on the line, it's, it's great, great soccer. Yeah, and uh, both Pompey and Sunderland have now fallen into the League One playoffs, so that's going to add some more spice to that. And the championship playoffs, well, everybody is predicting, myself included, that Villa will go up because they've been on such a run under Dean Smith. Uh, but West Brom still, player for player, um, is, is probably as good, if not better, than Villa. They are in uh, the playoff. Uh, they have uh, a, a derby, if you will, if they, if they end up playing Villa, and, and anything can happen in derby matches. And uh, on top of that, leads under Bielsa, maybe they'll, they'll come again. They have a lot of injuries. 
Uh, I think his training methods maybe have worn the team down, and they faded towards the end of the season, and we've seen Sheffield United under Chris Wilder overtake them and be promoted. Um, but uh, we'll see. Now, here's one concern, Chris, since you mentioned this. ESPN does a great job with ES- the ESPN FC program. They do a great job with providing bumper programming around European Nations League and European qualifiers. I don't know if that's part of their, their contract with UEFA, that they have to have a studio at halftime and, and, and pregame for that. But they do that. Um, they do not do anything for the championship. So uh, this weekend, when, when they had uh, the Norwich match on and, and they clinched promotion, and they had the Sheffield United match on, and they had uh, this Leeds Villa match on, it would have been nice to have some sort of analysis, uh, even if it's a single person, um, halftime or, or, or post-match. Uh, you have to wait for the ESPN FC show where they're discussing La Liga or, or the Premier League first or the Bundesliga, and then they get to or actually more and more Serie A recently on that show. Uh, and then they eventually get to the championship. They still do it justice. Don't get me wrong. But um, they, it would be nice to have some bumper programming. Will we have that for the playoff? Will we have that for the FA Cup final? I, I want to see that. And, and I'm hoping ESPN has those, uh, has those plans because they didn't do that around the League Cup final. Yeah. Remember about the show. Yeah. It- I, I, they, ha- they have the talent. I mean, I, I could easily see kind of a Mark Donaldson and Paul Mariner doing like a halftime, just, just a 10-minute uh, piece, uh, kind of bring people up, up to speed in terms of the context of what's happening. You mean, okay, th- all right, here's the results coming in and here's where we stand right now. Uh, here's the chances of, the, of this team advancing to, to the next round and what do you think about highlights and, and lowlights of this game? So they have the talent. Uh, it's just a matter of... Um, just, just doing it. I mean, a lot of these talent too are doing broadcasts for ESPN, the Caribbean, and uh, I think, I think Asia and down under. I mean, all the way around the world. So they're broadcasting from ESPN um, and do different coverage. But it, it'd be great to see, I, and especially, hopefully, at least the Championship playoff final. There will be, you um, I mean, talent in the studio giving us kind of a, a pre-match, even if it's five, ten minutes. Halftime, post-match. I mean, it is really uh, that. That's the only one, one. That's the only thing that's missing. You're right, Kartik, in, in terms of making that even better than it, what it is. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that for me, ESPN is the gold standard with a lot of this stuff. But now maybe they have so much content and they've acquired it so quickly, Chris, that they have not caught up on the studio side and on the uh, just yeah. bumper program side. I trust they will at some point. But again, I was a little surprised. I expected a Mark Donaldson since you mentioned him, or a uh, uh, Alexis Nunez, or maybe Alison Bender, who, who, who they used and is based in, in the UK, to provide some sort of supplementary coverage of the League Cup final, especially when what happened happened with Kepa and Sari, and we just didn't get it. And hopefully uh, playoffs, a championship, League One, League Two playoffs, and uh, FA Cup, uh, they do they do that. Because they're giving us a lot of games, and I have to admit, this season I'm watching a lot more championship and a lot less a Premier League than I used to, and it's because of the accessibility from, I mean, I love being in it, but it's the accessibility that ESPN's giving us uh, with the league. Uh, But at the same time, there is this downside, whereas BN oftentimes would build in their extra, uh, their express show or the extra with uh, championship uh, uh, telecasts. So speaking of the Premier League, uh, Friday we had Liverpool against Huddersfield, a, a rare Friday game. We weren't sure, sure going into this one whether we'd get the, far, the Friday night football broadcast from Sky Sports or not, and we didn't get it. Um, instead, we got the, the typical, well, not typical, but, you know, it's typical, the, the, the good old uh, 
NBCSN broadcast from Stamford, Connecticut, from the studios there uh, with Rebecca and, and uh, the, the Robbies, and it was good. And uh, post-match, uh, they were able to use the Sky Sports uh, interview with uh, Jurgen Klopp, which had uh, Kelly Cates, uh, Gary Neville, and Jamie Carragher. That was good. Um, Saturday, I had a rare day where I don't think my kids had any, any games, so I was able to watch, to me, what, what I called relegation Saturday, which was um, the Fulham against Cardiff game. The only reason I watched this game, I mean, really, was to find out whether or not Cardiff would be going down or not. <laughs> and as a Swansea fan, I'm taking a little bit of pleasure in that. But even if I wasn't a Swansea fan, I would, I would have watched this game too. I mean, the game itself wasn't, wasn't good at, at, at all until the like, last five minutes of the game when suddenly Cardiff, uh, with a couple of substitutions, all of a sudden started to actually attack the goal. Uh, and some re- really incredible saves by Rico in the Fulham uh, goal uh, and... Uh, Fulham was able to to hold on to that. Well, why did Cardiff? Um, I, I watched a lot of that game, also, especially those last ten minutes, because I was frustrated. By that time, uh, Dortmund was down to nine men, and they, they were they were getting beat by Schalke. Why did uh, Neil Warnock not play until the last ten minutes? They created, I think, six or seven clear chances in the last ten minutes, yeah. and, and apparently, again, I wasn't watching the game that closely before that. Apparently, they didn't create any before that. Yeah, yeah. Before that, it was it was it was nothing. It was just uh, a very. I mean, I think they had one shot on goal before that, and uh, and that was it. I mean, I mean, to me, this could be the one mistake that uh, Neil Warnock made uh, that could end up sending Cardiff down because this is the game that they had a chance to win it, um, and sending your subs on in the last ten minutes had such a dramatic difference that it was kind of two different games. Before the game, there was nothing. After the game, oh, after the substitutions, it was a completely different game. So yeah, it's, it's got to be Warnock's mistake. I, I don't know why he waited so long. It just was just too late. Um, so, so Cardiff still has a chance to stay, stay up, but uh, it's not looking good. The match right after that is Bright, was Brighton against Newcastle. Another one that uh, if it wasn't for the relegation dogfight, I wouldn't have watched this game. Uh, and there was another match that wasn't the most entertaining game, but it held me because of the relegation factor. Uh, the, the threat of seeing a team relegated, would Brighton go down or not? Or would they be able to survive and make, it, uh, make, make the game worth my time to watch and, and hold on for a draw, which they did, which keeps their hopes alive? So, so th- this is an example, to me at least, of something that um, without promotion relegation, I'd have almost zero interest in watching these games with it i've got almost 100 percent interest in these games sunday uh Kartik, i watched um the last 10 minutes of seattle sanders against lafc and uh i think i picked, picked a perfect time to watch this game because it was a crazy en- ending to the game um just last gasp attempt- attempts on goal but uh, at both ends and it resembled, in a way, a rugby match. N- not the way that it was played, but just in players getting hit, going to the ground, just very physical. Uh, a second red card, and then ends up being a 1-1 draw. But um, to me, LAFC are this season's Atlanta United. Um, I've been saying for several weeks now that um, I find them really entertaining to watch. They're a great team. They're attacking-minded, very skillful, and a notch above all of the other MLS teams I've seen. It's been really, really uh, good soccer whenever they're on. And then the ESPN FC I caught on Sunday night and uh, interesting discussion in that uh, with the crew, with uh, Craig Burley, Steve Nichol and Dan Thomas about whether or not Manchester City and Liverpool would want to switch places uh, in the current predicaments. This is before the Champions League games, of course. And they were saying too that uh, Liverpool would love a chance to be 
to win the Premier League and Manchester City would really love a chance to win the Champions League but the roles are reversed where Liverpool has an opportunity to win the Champions League Manchester City has a huge opportunity to win the Premier League and yes they'll both be happy at the end of the day but what they really want are the, the other person's trophy opportunities but to me Kartik uh, ESPN Plus we said this before and I'll say it again ESPN Plus to me is worth the 4.95 a month uh, alone just for the ESPN FC daily analysis and highlight show. That in itself yeah. is, is worth the, the five bucks a month. Um, good, good entertainment there. Anything, yeah. anything else, Kartik, before we move on? Uh, the Monday ESPN FC had a really good discussion, and I, I always uh, bring this up with U.S. fans, and, and I'm a, a reform advocate, I'm a pro-rel advocate, but they always want the U.S. system to resemble England's exactly. a lot. Not all, all of them. There's a good percentage of them, and uh, I think there was a very good discussion led by Dan Thomas, but but, but very uh, strong points from Shaka Hislop, among others, uh, Gab Markadi and, and Craig Burley were the others, I think, on the show that day, about the Premier League's uh, obsession with itself and business and, and that they're not necessarily looking out for the best interests of their clubs. They're not looking out for the best interests of England's national team. They're not looking out for the best interests of the other clubs in the Football League, uh, et cetera. So uh, that's something I always try and and stress that I think the Premier League and, and the top league in England is much more like an American sporting league than, let's say, um, the Bundesliga is or Serie A is or La Liga is, although those leagues are beginning to move in, in, in that direction, La Liga in particular. Um, and, we all, and obviously there's been some uh, back and forth between La Liga and, and the Spanish Federation this week about Copa del Rey and other things. But uh, I think that's an interesting discussion for people to check out. I cannot agree with you more, Chris, 495 a month. Uh, I'll be honest, a lot of times um, that ESPN Plus, other than ESPN FC, I'm not watching anything on it. But it's worth it to, just to see that show. And it's seven days a week now. And they give you extra time as well uh, because of uh, obviously the, uh, um, um, they're not confined by the 30-minute window that they were when they were on ESPN2. So uh, you, you actually get a lot of bonus content that you didn't get in those days. All right. Well, this show is sponsored by SeatGeek. Uh, the ticket industry hasn't changed in a long time. There are a bunch of big companies out there who have been around a long time uh, but don't really care much about making the experience easier for the customer. For a long time, buying tickets has been really difficult and annoying with a few big companies who don't really care about the customer. Well, SeatGeek is a ticket company where the customer comes first with more than 50,000 five-star reviews in the App Store. SeatGeek is focused on making your experience as easy as possible. SeatGeek pulls in millions of tickets from all over the web, rates each deal on a scale of 1 to 10, and displays them on an interactive seat map so it's simple to find what you're looking for. Green dots are good deals and red dots are overpriced. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets with confidence. I actually have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. Uh, in fact, the last week or two, I've been looking at it in terms of all of the summer friendlies coming to the United States, uh, everything from Aston Villa to uh, Atletico Madrid, Chelsea. Chelsea's playing in a couple of weeks uh, against New England Revolution. Uh, Liverpool announced last week the, their big tour of the U.S. And now we're fine. Yeah, so Liverpool will be playing uh, three games. They're playing, let me see, they're playing it from memory. Borussia Dortmund, um, they're playing Sevilla, and they're playing Sporting Lisbon. And actually, those three games, they're playing in three historic stadiums, Fenway Park, Notre Dame Stadium, and Yankee Stadium. So three really traditional American um, sports uh, arenas, or kind of uh, huge stadiums. 
But anyway, so, so best of all, my listeners get $10 off their first SeatGeek purchase. And lastly, of course, SeatGeek supports our show. So go support them because they support us. Use our promo code WSTPOD for $10 off your first purchase. You can use that for concert tickets, sports, comedy, whatever you want. Remember, that's promo code WSTPOD for $10 off your first purchase. Now, Kartik, let's move on to TV streaming news. And uh, speaking of TNT and the Champions League that we talked about before, um, some positive news from them. Yeah, their uh, uh, Champions League telecast ratings are up 57% compared to last year's comparable coverage on Fox Sports. Uh, viewership for TNT's BR Football Match League studio coverage is up 101% over last year's pre-match shows through the quarterfinals. So uh, I guess analysis of the Champions League is more valuable than, than uh, rumor-mongering about MLS and U.S. soccer, which is what those Champions League broadcasts, uh, uh, telecasts tended to be. Uh, so very good news for TNT and maybe uh, uh, that, that higher rights fee they pay. Kartik, what's been refreshing, though, is that with these Champions League uh, coverage on TNT is that there's been no promos or no adverts or advertorials for Major League Soccer. I mean, that was one of the things that I always used to hate about the Champions League coverage on Fox is they'd, they'd cram in all this Major League Soccer stuff, which had z- zero context or relevance to the Champions League. At least, at least with TNT, I mean, you've got the, the hour pregame show the hour post-game show, and a good halftime show. And it's all about the Champions League, really. It's, it's all focused on that. And, that. and that, for me, is a huge plus. And the, and the numbers show it. I mean, the numbers, they're way up on what Fox had last year. I think they're doing a, a great job. There's a lot of haters out there that think they're doing a bad job, and, which is not haters. Uh, to me, even on Twitter this morning, uh, I was getting a lot of criticism from people saying about, like, ah, the, you mean their coverage is garbage. And, wh- and what I said was that it's different strokes for different folks. And, and I believe that, too, because, you mean, Kartik, you, you're kind of what, what you want from your coverage is probably a little bit different than what I want, uh, which is vastly different than other soccer fans. But at the, at the end of the day, if you like it, You'll watch it. If you don't like it, you'll maybe just tune in for the games themselves, whatever it may be. But in Fox's instance, the numbers showed that most people did not like it. And actually, the feedback we got, we've gotten over years and years, even though they made improvements and gotten, got better at different times, the large majority of people did not watch the pregame show. They would just tune in for the game itself. <clears throat> now, moving on, um, the Scottish Football League has issued a request for proposal for the rights to the Scottish Premiership for the 2020 to 21 uh, season onwards. The rights would also include the Scottish Championship, Scottish League Cup, Scottish Challenge Cup, as well as the playoffs for the, for the Premiership and the Championship. The current rights holder in the United States is Turner Sports on their BR Live platform. Now, Kartik, um, the press release that was sent out to announce this uh, of course, the Scottish uh, Football League was kind of talking about how popular the, the Scottish League is and how it's growing. And, and uh, a lot of broadcasters around the world are showing um, this league and, and, and the subsequent uh, leagues and competitions and playoffs. What's your thought, <coughs> thought in terms of um, who might win this one in the next round? In the U.S., uh, it'll be either Turner or uh, ESPN and BAMTech. I mean, I, I can't see... Uh, how uh, anyone else would be that interested in it, unless BN sees it as maybe a cheaper way to get another European league on, on their airwaves, uh, and one that whose schedule doesn't always conflict with with La Liga and um, 
and, and uh, La Liga. Uh, well, we don't know if La Liga will be there long term, but Liga is, is, is likely to be on BN as long as BN has a channel in the United States. So maybe BN outside chance, but I think it's going to be Turner or, uh, or ESPN Plus uh, slash Vamtech. I could envision um, in, the, in the next 12 months that for the La Liga rights, I could envision that uh, BN Sports, even if they went in with the highest offer, that La Liga would turn down that opportunity. And, and that would be just be because of uh, the distribution and everything that's been going on in, in the last couple of years with La Liga, uh, not having an opportunity to be on free-to-air, over-the-air television. I could easily see BN Sports coming in with a high offer and La Liga saying, OK, thanks, but no thanks. We're going we're gonna to go with whoever it may be. I mean, that, that's kind of where we're at. So the likelihood of BN Sports acquiring the, the rights to La Liga, I would say, is probably less than 10%. Uh, in their minds, being sports might say it's maybe know, 75 to 80 percent, but but that's the way I kind of see things. We'll have to wait and see what happens, but uh, there you go. Kartik, uh, some more news from the TV streaming industry? Yeah, so uh, Major League Soccer this week announced an extension of its uh, current content agreement with Twitter that provides fans a comprehensive slate of live matches, highlights, and features. The partnership originally announced in uh, March of last year has been extended through the end of the 2022 season, which coincides with the end of this current TV deal. Yeah, and next up is uh, an interesting piece of news. This is the first deal that's been done in the United States. We know that uh, sports gambling is starting to to take off in the U.S., where it's uh, become legal on a state-by-state issue. Um, New Jersey was one of the first states to go ahead and approve uh, sports gambling, and slowly but surely it's spreading across the nation. Um, It's going to take a a long time before it's the whole United States. But uh, what's happened, though, is is, uh, you might have heard of uh, the company FanDuel, well, FanDuel has done a deal uh, to go ahead and uh, acquire the opportunity. Well, actually, they haven't, haven't acquired any of the rights yet, but they've, they've said that they're going to go ahead and acquire uh, mobile gaming streaming rights to European soccer leagues. So I can see this happening, and this is for the U.S., I can see this happening in the next probably 6 to 12 months where they start acquiring some of the leagues uh, on the game, the, the live stream gaming side of things. So for, what, what I mean by this, for example, is they pick up the, the rights to, say, the Austrian League. And you go on to FanDuel, and you can actually watch the game from Austria, whoever may be playing. And within that uh, live stream, watching that, that game, is that you can place bets on that game, you know, all, all the different odds and opportunities there for, for betting. So this is something because that uh, FanDuel has said that they're starting off by doing this. Um, they're focusing on European soccer and tennis, and slowly but surely, I'm sure that uh, as time goes on, they'll grow from there and probably add a whole bunch of other sports. So this is something that's huge in the UK and huge in Europe and huge around the world, uh, where you can go on and, and, and watch a game uh, through a, bet- a betting company's website and then place wages on that game itself. And for the U.S., this is a big deal. This is something that's happening. And uh, FanDuel looks like they've done a deal with uh, Sports Radar uh, to kick this off, and uh, it, which is interesting too, because uh, FanDuel is owned by Paddy Power, which is uh, huge in the U.K. So something to keep an eye on on this one. Kartik, uh, speaking of keeping an eye on, this is something I'm really looking forward to watching. Yeah, HBO has acquired the rights to the highly anticipated documentary uh, Diego Maradona, which tells the extraordinary story of the most celebrated and polarizing soccer player 
of his generation, maybe of all time. Uh, Diego Maradona will have its world premiere as an official selection uh, at the uh, 2019 uh, Cannes Film Festival and receive a limited theatrical run in the U.S. prior to its HBO debut on September 24th. Uh, check your movie listings in your area. If you're in a big metropolitan area, you might be getting it for a week or two, is what I understand about this documentary. If you're not, just wait till September and it'll be on HBO. And last but not least, we have uh, Be Out Q, which is the uh, illegal streaming uh, service out of Saudi Arabia, uh, which is taking the Bean Sports feed from Qatar and broadcasting that uh, throughout Saudi Arabia and actually throughout the world, too. Well, this, this past week, uh, the U.S. government published two reports uh, that directly condemned and called for an end to the rampant Saudi-based piracy operation. On the same day, the U.K. government was, was also directly challenged in U.K. Parliament to take decisive action against uh, BQ's unchecked piracy of content from the U.K.'s creative agencies. And, and what we've... Um, seen this past week too is that uh, I think being sports went ahead and shared a clip uh, showing a lot of American sports uh, being featured on uh, BLQ illegally and you had everything from the NBA to NFL to Major League Soccer to uh, other sports and all of them had the BLQ uh, logo kind of a bug at the top of the screen um, so the US is definitely condemning that whether or not that'll do any good we'll have to wait and see Kartik, uh, TV ratings, um, interesting numbers from this past week. Uh, we'll, we'll just uh, highlight a few. The big one was uh, Chivas against Lyon, uh, 1.1 million on Univision and Univision Deportes Network on Saturday night. Uh, massive numbers there. Man United against Chelsea on NBCSN on Sunday. Um, an anticlimax of a game, really, uh, to, to me at least. Uh, 692,000 viewers for that one. Uh, you had the, the relegation battles, which I'd mentioned before, too. So you had the Brighton against uh, Newcastle game on NBC on Saturday. 595,000 viewers watched that one. The Fulham-Cardiff game, um, Cardiff trying to escape relegation. Uh, 232,000 people watched that one, which is pretty decent on NBCSN. Um, the Impossible Dream, I forgot to mention that in what we've been watching. So I did watch it. Carter, did you get a chance to watch the, uh, that, that treble documentary on uh, NBCSN? I, I, no, I have not yet. I, I have it on my it TV. It was fantastic. Really, really good. And, and, and I'm, I'm not a Manchester United supporter, but I watched this one and I was blown away because they did such a great job of just talking about um, just how everything evolved. It wasn't just Manchester, Manchester United, but it talked about uh, football at that time, uh, the dominance of Arsenal and uh, how things have, were, were different back then and how they evolved and it evolved into United winning the treble, of course, which is the main focus. But there's a lot of footage in there, a lot of archival, archival footage that we've never seen on US television. Um, the 1999 uh, Champions League final, I, I remember watching that one. I think I watched it at the Tudor Inn uh, in Fort Lauderdale, across the street from Lockhart Stadium. And on a, I think, a Wednesday afternoon, I think I left work early. I think I had to pay like 20 bucks to get to watch the game on pay-per-view. But... Uh, and, and, and that place, I, I'll never forget the memories of watching that game in that pub and the, and the fans going absolutely crazy uh, with that late, late uh, comeback uh, with Ole Gunnar But uh, I would recommend watching it from the TV ratings point of view. 138,000 people watched this game live on NBCSN uh, for that uh, documentary. It was a two-hour documentary. If you haven't watched it, uh, just like Kartik, highly recommend it. It was really, really well done. Okay, uh, Major League Soccer, Kartik. Um, 
the ESPN one wasn't too bad. The Seattle against LAFC game, good game on Sunday. 209,000 people watched that one on Sunday. But here we go again. Minnesota United against uh, DC United on FS1 on Sunday. 91,000 viewers on, on a Sunday broadcast, 1.30 to 3.30 Eastern Time. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had uh, another viewing figure on FS1 that was 90,000. So this was 1,000 people more. But th- this is... This is I don't know. It's, it's beyond a joke at this point. For whatever reason, people are not tuning in to watching MLS on FS1 for some reason. Yeah, the Impossible Dream was airing at the same time as that. Should more people watch that? That's really telling. Yeah, yeah, almost double, almost double. The nightmare scenario, though, for Major League Soccer, and and I hope this doesn't happen by any means, I hope this does not happen at all, is if the U.S. women's national team gets knocked out early in the the Women's World Cup this summer, MLS is banking on getting a lift in TV ratings um, when they have games scheduled to air on Big Fox immediately after the USA women's game. So you got, say... I don't know, USA against Australia, big massive match. And then right after it, as soon as it ends, you've got Major League Soccer, I don't know, DC United against Portland, whoever it may be. And those numbers for the MLS games will get huge lifts. Well, if a US women's national team gets knocked out, that is, that is I mean, maybe they get knocked out in the second round or maybe get knocked out in the quarterfinals. That is a worse, that, that is a nightmare scenario because then if it's, I don't know, if it's, um, Australia against uh, Japan. I mean, yes, people will tune into that. I would watch that game. A lot of people would watch that game. But the mainstream of Amer- America are not going to watch that game. And, and that would hurt the MLS TV ratings. So I'm, I'm envisioning the next TV deal for Major League Soccer has been probably the most important milestone in the history of the league. Uh, if Major League Soccer cannot increase the, t- the current deal with Univision, Fox, and ESPN, the league will have to re- rely on the main driver of revenue for the league, which is expansion fees. But at some point in time, and we talked about this last week, that will run out. But at this, uh, the rate is going; it could go on for another ten, 10 years. And well, and it's also it's also impacting the TV ratings because I, I no one has said it to me directly, but I, uh, I I've talked to several people in the last few weeks who feel like the quality of the league, even though there's a lot of propaganda out there, are the league stronger than ever. Maybe the league has more good players than ever because we're more teams. But um, that the product is actually diluted. I mean, yeah. you could. You would have a, a reliable, uh, kind of consistent level of soccer in the late 2000s if you turned on a Houston Dynamo game uh, when they were very good, or, or then after that the Galaxy, uh, Salt Lake for a couple seasons. Now it's all over the place, right? Uh, because the the, the the talent is diluted. You can't keep up with. Um, you can't sign enough foreign players, even though the scouting in South America has improved and develop as many good players in this country. And you could argue the player development has is regressed in this country uh, to keep up with with the rapid expansion of both MLS and USL. The lower divisions are doing the same thing. So uh, there has been a downturn in consistency from match to match. And I think that is also impacting television ratings. So if you keep expanding, you run the risk of people saying, oh my gosh, there are 50 teams and the quality of none of these teams is very good and and et cetera, et cetera. So it's it's a double-edged sword. Yeah, and actually going back to the ESPN FC broadcast on Sunday night, I, I can't remember the number of times I, I, I lost count really of how many times when they did the MLS highlights of the games from that that weekend is how many times they mentioned the word comedy capers and what they were talking about was defensive just basic defensive mistakes yeah. I mean clearing the ball just just I mean just awful defensive mistakes and and yes there were plenty of goals and and we've talked about this before Kartik is that 
yes, there's great signing all these great uh, attacking strikers or attacking midfielders as, as DPs. But I mean, time and time again, how about sign, sign, signing some good uh, defenders, uh, some some players that are actually going to be world class defenders that are going to strengthen up the the, the backs of these teams. Uh, because as a soccer fan, if you're watching a game and it's just basic, making basic uh, defensive error mess, uh, uh, um, errors, it's um, it's a turnoff. All right, let's move on to listener mailbag. Uh, first up is Foo Jam, and he says, "Love the podcast. How about that uh, Concacaf Champions League final?" Just kidding, he says. I try to pay attention to the league, but they make it so difficult. D- despite MLS teams not progressing too far. I still want to be able to watch. However, a lot of the legs are scheduled for 10 p.m. Eastern time. I understand that Mexico is Pacific uh, time zone, but basically unwatchable for U.S. East Coasters. Plus, the final is two legs. I think it would uh, generate more interest if it, it did it with, like the UEFA, with a single match final. Anyway, I don't see them changing anything about it anytime soon. Just re- recently, they revamped it with a 16-team knockout stage and no group stage. And I can understand why there is basically no coverage here in the States with the late starts and poor showings by MLS teams. Will they ever get it right? And Carter, um, well, well, I, I was just going to say, too, I, I mean, just, just to chime in real fast, is that it, it is. It's playing to the, the, the Mexican-American audience who love watching games at 10 p.m. Eastern on a Saturday night or a Sunday night, and it's Chivas or if it's Club America and that's something that um, I mean, some of those games that get the highest ratings, um, but does not trans carry over well to, I mean, an MLS audience or a soccer mainstream audience that's used to watching games at, I mean, earlier in the day, with uh, a better time zone that works for the East Coast. What about you? What, what, what are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I, I, similar. I, I um, first of all, most of Mexico is not in the Pacific time zone. The reason they're late start times is that's the culture. Uh, there, and you might notice that even with La Liga, there's the culture of a lot of late start times in in in, uh, in Southern Europe and in Latin America, and uh, weekday games in particular, midweek matches, which is what the Concacaf Champions League is. It's a midweek competition, and I I uh, have have come around, and this comes from not only covering the game but working in the game. I've come around to the view that midweek competitions uh, are are just oftentimes devalued, whether it's the U.S. Open Cup here in the States, CONCACAF Champions League, the the, uh, the League Cup, uh, which the entire tournament is midweek with the exception of the final uh, in England, and other cup competitions that are like that, the Copa del Rey, uh, which now um, the Spanish Federation is taking steps to try and um, uh, reemphasize that cup competition and, and simplify it and reduce fixture congestion, which I think are pretty smart changes, even though it seems the league uh, is pushing back on them. But... Um, there is a devaluing of midweek competitions and add that to the time um, and the culture and then the, the MLS teams doing poorly. It just, it's, it's not, it hasn't captured the imagination of people in this country the way that I think Chuck Glazer and Jack Warner, uh, two disgraced uh, individuals, but uh, the, the two of them felt it would when they launched this. I mean, they had, they were very ambitious when they launched the CONCACAF Champions League before the 2008-2009 season. Uh, I thought it was a great idea. I thought it would catch on. I thought it would give additional relevance to, to Major League Soccer. We talked about the regular season and the league in general not having much relevance, and they had a lot, lot fewer teams then. So, uh, And uh, they always had four or five teams that got into this tournament. Or this, uh, there were a couple of years, US, a few USL teams qualified uh, just because of whatever reason. But um, I, I thought it would help the relevance of MLS. And the context of the regular season hasn't done that. And we're 10 years in now, yeah. more than 10 years in. So, uh, 
Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. Maybe it's time for changes. Yeah, I, personally, I, I don't think it's so much the timing of it. I mean, you, you look at the the Champions League, which is a, a mid-week, midweek competition except for the final. I mean, that, that's different in, in terms of the level of competition there. Although UEFA, you know, uh, Chris, UEFA is concerned about that, and that's why they're talking about trying to finesse it onto weekends, as, as, you, as you know. Yeah, which, which would take it to a whole new level, which those ratings for those games... And, and also the TV rights would go up major, major big time if they can go on, on the weekends. But, but to, to me, the CONCACAF Champions League, it's, um, it's really about how competitive it is. And for most people in the United States, most people don't pay attention to it because we know that the Liga MX teams are going to win it. Uh, if anything, it's actually hurt Major League Soccer. I mean, the idea, the concept was good, but by playing in this tournament, you're in and you're out. And, and yes, was it Toronto did really well last season? But it's really a tournament that makes Major League Soccer look even worse than what it already is. Um, so it's a c- complete turn-off for most fans. Uh, the timing of the games, uh, I think, like Fujian mentioned, is tough. Having those late games, definitely. But if it was that good, and if the entertainment level and competitive, competitiveness was that good, we would figure out a way to watch those games. So same thing with, uh, I don't know, Copa America. If it's Copa America like this summer... And if it's a big game on at 10 o'clock and it's I mean, Brazil against uh, Uruguay or whoever it may be, I'd stay up late to watch that game. I would, I would I mean, stay up late, do whatever I can do to make sure I watch that game. With the CONCACAF Champions League, I mean, you can watch your highlights the next day. It's really not as competitive and it's going to be pretty much, you know, that Liga Max team is going to win it. All right, last up, uh, John Average Geek says, uh, in-game interviews by sideline reporters are the worst. No other country does it. Maybe we should, we should take a hint. All U.S. sports do it. NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL. It is awful. It adds nothing and distracts from the game. A good play-by-play and color commentator is all that is needed. And, and this is something that you look at. Um, I mean, Fox would be the worst culprit in terms of always having a sideline reporter uh, I'm sure they'll have one for the, the Women's World Cup. I'm sure they'll have it for the Gold Cup. Um, ESPN does it too sometimes, I believe, if I, if I remember correctly. Um, but it's a complete waste of time. I, I agree, John. Yeah, this is a, yeah. it's, to me, I, I mean, just to show you, I mean, for the championship, oftentimes you have a solo commentator, one guy doing the whole job. And, and to me, that person does a fantastic job of covering the game, every angle of the game. And this. I can count on maybe one hand the amount of times that a sideline reporter has given me any substance, any value, and especially having kind of the you mean in-game interviews too with, with the coach for a minute or two. It's a, a complete distraction from the game. It's awful, um, and I, I feel sorry for the sideline reporters who think like, "Oh, it's, this is a big deal." I, I mean, I'm Grant Wall. Look at me. I'm on the sideline with with a mic. It, it's it's laughable. Yeah, ESPN first tried it in around 2003, 2004 with MLS, when MLS, is, uh, MLS was in the tank, and it didn't add anything to those broadcasts then. It doesn't add anything now. Football, soccer, whatever you prefer to call it, is a fundamentally different game than all of these American sports that have built-in television timeouts, uh, a million natural stoppages, stoppages of play. Uh, it, 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 it doesn't add anything. Maybe it adds an extra layer of Americanism to the broadcast. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I hate it. And, and, and by adding that extra level of uh, Americanism to the broadcast, uh, I could see it if, it if it helped the TV ratings. If all of a sudden they said, okay, look, the TV ratings, they're up. They're up the major. Maybe it's the sideline reporter, which, which the, 
which the, the reality is is the opposite of that. Now, they might look back at the, the Women's World Cup and say, look, look how wonderful the, uh, the TV ratings did because we had a sideline reporter as one of the many variables that, that made that a success. The only one variable that made the Women's World Cup massive TV ratings, massive su- success, and, and more power to them is that the U.S. women were so good and they won it. I mean, and that's at the end of the day, that's the most well, important factor. I, I don't mind having a sideline reporter for, for, for pre-match and post-match yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and halftime. Uh, in fact, halftime it can be very valuable because you know you get a, you get a sense of who's warming up. If, if a player, if a manager is going to make a substitution at halftime, uh, oftentimes that player stays out on the pitch, warms up. I don't mind that at all. Um, and I think there have been some good sideline reporters. I actually think uh, when Julie Stewart Binks did it for ESPN, she was very good. Uh, but yeah. for the most part, uh, she would be an exception. I think for the most part, it doesn't add anything to broadcasts. Yeah, and um, oftentimes the individuals doing the sideline reporting are, are good. There's nothing wrong with them. And it's just that they're trying to do the best at a very limited role where they have limited access. And they really, you mean, they're not, I, I don't know, there's, there's very little substance that comes out of that. One of the, th- the things that I'm thinking about now too, Kartik, is that um, speaking, I mean, actually, actually, the one thing that I do like, and this is really not a sideline reporter, but. Uh, the times that Fernando Perez has done this for TNT, where post-match he's been, or even pre-match, he's been right there with the Ajax fans at the, at the, the home ends with the, the, the crazy ultras singing, cheering, you mean, all that stuff. That, to me, is entertaining. That, to me, is uh, a complete opposite. Well, that adds a cultural dimension right. to the broadcast. And I, and I have to say, TNT has done a good job of that. They just they need more of it. But, yeah, that's different than Asylum. That's completely yeah. different. Totally different discussion. Yeah, and I, I missed the Minnesota United, uh, DC United game on Sunday, so I didn't watch it, so I don't know. But ha- having the coverage, I saw the clip of it on, uh, on, on social media, but having the clip of the Minnesota United fans sing, singing Wonderwall was a great clip. I mean, I, I'm not sure if there was a sideline reporter right there, you mean, kind of uh, in with the crowd or right, right by the fence there, but that was a good look on, on television or on social media. The reality is, though, Kartik, just going back just for a second, is that Minnesota United having a brand new stadium, Cincinnati um, having a brand new team in Major League Soccer, it's making zero difference on the MLS TV ratings. If anything, it's actually having the opposite effect. Uh, people are not tuning in to watch Minnesota United stadium and seeing how big and wonderful it is, which looks like a world-class stadium. People are not tuning in to watching Cincinnati. Cincinnati has done a fantastic job growing a fan base and packing those stadiums and, and, and whether for friendlies or for MLS games or for uh, lower league games, done a fantastic job. But outside of Cincinnati, there's almost zero interest in that team. Um, yes, we'd like to see them do well. Uh, they're a new team, um, but there's, outside of that market, there's very little interest. And that's the challenge that Major League Soccer has, is that on a local level, they're doing fantastic. If you're in Minnesota or Minneapolis, or if you're in Cincinnati, uh, or you're in Nashville and you're getting excited for, for next season, or uh, Portland, I mean, if you're a fan that can go to a local stadium to watch an MLS game, more power to you. I mean, that's got to be a great feeling. It's got to be a great experience. And, and yeah, the soccer is some, sometimes is not as great as it could be, but it's a great night out. Now, if you're a TV viewer and you're faced with a choice of watching The Impossible Dream, you mean a two-hour documentary that's exclusive to NBCSN and, and MUTV. Uh, it covers all this history about the game. It's a really absorbing broadcast. Or watching Minnesota United against DC United, where that game is really irrelevant. I mean, in terms of whoever wins or loses that game, 
uh, both of those teams will have a good chance of making the playoffs probably in a late run in, in July and August. Uh, I mean, which one do you watch? And, and that's the biggest challenge that Major League Soccer faces. That's the biggest challenge that uh, in this next TV deal is if they don't get a big TV deal, that is going to be a major problem. Um, there are ways to fix this. Calendar changes uh, in terms of the relevance of the league, restructuring it, uh, the number of teams that they have, you mean kind of splitting that up uh, better. There's many, many ideas, and, and, but it, it requires change. And at this point in time, Major League Soccer is focused on 100% on expansion. Everything else, just leave it the way it is because we're, we're not going to change things until we have to. By then, it could be too late. Yeah, some of the fixes are painfully obvious, but we can't even have the discussion. So uh, that, that's that's the way. I mean, anytime you Martin, bring how up, how dare you? How dare you even bring it up? <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> Which is true, though. You, you mentioned the word calendar. It's as, it's as if you're like uh, yeah. the Antichrist. Oh. He's, you know, as of this country is Antarctica, and uh, the summertime it's it's nice and pleasant and temperate, right? <laughs> I mean, right. Uh, this is one of the hottest places on, on the planet during the summer, yeah. and we're playing right through it. It also affects player development, uh, quality of play, all of that stuff. But again, you know, that's a conversation for another day. But uh, I, the very first thing would be calendar change, and I'm not advocating playing games in Chicago in January. Okay, there are ways to do this. But we have to have be open to at least having the discussion, acknowledging the problem, and having the discussion. And no, whenever I bring it up, and this has been for several years now, there's just the pushback is, is quite frankly myopic, uh, yeah. and and people are not thinking logically at all. But anyway, um, we'll move on. <laughs> So thank you for listening, uh, listeners. Uh, also, also, if you want to do share any feedback with us, if you have any questions, uh, rants or raves, you want to get something off your chest or you disagree with us or you agree with us or you want to, want to ask any questions about streaming or watching television, etc., you can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Um, this past week, Carter, just just real quickly, just uh, an aside. My wife was up in uh, Chicago uh, last week. And it was snowing, and, and here down in Florida, where we are, what eighty five degrees? It feels like the summer has already arrived. Uh, it's going to get hotter than this. Uh, it's just a huge country with such contrasting uh, degrees in temperature and different weather climates. It is possible to set up a calendar that's going to make you mean best utilize this great country, how big it is. Um, but it requires work and it requires compromise and it requires change. And, and that's something that we haven't seen yet. Uh, and I, right now, I don't, I don't see that happening at all. All right. So thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, Spotify, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, AudioBoom and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. And Kartik, going into another weekend of Premier League soccer and soccer from around the world, you've got Rebecca Lowe doing the Kentucky Derby. Uh, so you've got, uh, who is it? Uh, Derek Ray actually hosting uh, the Premier League coverage this weekend. You've got the final day of the championship uh, regular season uh, in the Premier League. The title race could be over this weekend or could go into the, the, the final day, as well as plenty of other games from around the world. It's going to be fantastic to watch. What should they do? Enjoy your football.